When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Recording here Friday morning, a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas to you and yours. Patriots kicking off against Denver. This is going to be a shorter preview episode than normal because we have the ghosts of Patriots scandals past up here as we all deal with the ghosts of Christmas past. Mark Daniels of Mass Live, I would say the most, if not as more, a dogged reporter as you will find on the Patriots beat and had a story out this week that made headlines nationally about underinflated footballs. In the Patriots-Chiefs game, in the first half, they were remedied afterward. Mark, the first thought I had were not three letters for PSI, but more WTF as we went along with this story. Um, How has life been for you since you brought Deflategate back into all of our lives? And an excellent report, by the way. Like, this was very well put together. All of that needs to be said in the front end. It's not any kind of lip service. Like, this is a great report, a very good story. Man, my emails have been full of people <laughs> yelling at me for putting pounds in there. Like I put 11, I put like 11 pounds, 13 and a half pounds, because that's what the NFL rule book actually says in terms of the weight of the balls. It says 12 and a half pounds to 13 and a half pounds. That's how I wrote it. People got mad. I changed it to pounds per square inch. Other people got mad that I didn't put ounces. And then I started changing it to PSI. Then I'm like, I've spent way too much time and people have spent way too much time yelling at me for how I, basically wrote about the weight of the actual footballs. That was the first thing. It's like, man, I'm getting PTSD from almost 10 years ago. It's wild to think that was the 2014 AFC championship game when it started. That was technically early 2015. We're, we're getting on like the 10 year point. And there are still people who sort of forget that when I say like 11 and a half pounds, we're talking about pounds per square inch, ounces, PSI, whatever, whatever have you. People are like, oh, the balls are 11 pounds. That's why Mac Jones can't throw it. And I'm like, no, we're doing this again, man. It you know it, it feels like it, it feels like it was yesterday, man. But when that came out, the amount of reaction I got to it was like, wow. There are a lot of people who forget. Like people, there are some people who forget, and clearly some people who did not because you know Bob Kravitz is commenting, my man Jeff Howe is commenting. People are like, oh, not again, not again, <laughs> not, not the ideal gas law. I just remember covering that story. It was my first year on the beat, first time covering a Super Bowl, and I spent hours and days researching how footballs were made like i spent so much time about learning about pig bladders and football <laughs> bladders and you know what really went into it. it 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 brought up some bad memories but i would say this the fact that it's been 10 years and it something happened again but it wasn't probably wasn't the patriots fault it's um that's also 
I'd say noteworthy. Yes. And let's just read from the story because you can't beat, you know, the original primary source here. And so what you wrote early in this story is, quote, the underinflated footballs didn't travel as well in the Foxborough weather on Sunday. And sources indicated that's why Patriots kicker Chad Ryland and Chiefs kicker Harrison Bucker missed field goals in the first half. Sources noted that the footballs traveled farther in the second half once inflated to proper 13.5 PSI. Uh, now I'm wondering if that was pounds originally or pounds per square inch. Uh, quote, they were all sitting around at 11 PSI. The threshold is usually 13.5, a source told Mass Live. The Patriots told the refs that they were a little underinflated or they felt that way. At halftime, they confirmed and obviously put air in them. So, you know, the, the first tip was not even a field goal attempt. It was the kickoff, right, to start that game where Harrison Butker is yeah. clearing a touchback 87.1% of the time going into that game and then misses a field goal for the first time all year. And then Chad Ryland obviously misses, which is becoming more of a common occurrence. I don't really want to rehash the rest of that game. We all saw it. We know what happened. But what, if anything, have you learned since you published besides that folks have totally forgotten how science works and that we all went through this 10 years ago. Just remember, so we don't have to do it again. So there's two things. I had, I had one source tell me something interesting that post deflate gate and up to 2020, Referees are extremely diligent with the PSI and the balls. Like players noticed a difference with how officials handled the game balls and that they were – and the way the measurements happened were a lot more open. I think back in the day, frankly, people skirted over it and officials didn't pay much attention to it. That changed after you know the NFL spent millions of dollars to essentially suspend Tom Brady. But I was told since COVID, they – this one source said it has been a little bit more lax because my question was, how does this happen in 2023, especially at Gillette Stadium where, you know, Deflategate started? And the source told me, well, you know what? Things have changed a little bit since 2020. He felt like it's sort of gone back to the original way or like eh, it's not as lax It's people aren't as essentially seeing the referees as much even deal or talk about the PSI. So that was at least one source's thought. on how could this happen? Well, maybe the NFL doesn't care as much which is one. Uh, the second is I thought what Harrison Bucker said to the Chiefs media on Thursday was interesting. It was, quote, I made a lot of big kicks with flatter balls. Um, <laughs> he essentially said he thought it was his technique for the reason why he missed. Bucker did note, though, that the officials confirmed to him at halftime the balls were underinflated. They reinflated it, and he noticed a difference on his first kickoff in the second half as well. So I think Bucker's explanation is very different from how the Patriots special teamers were feeling because my, from what I was told by three sources, Patriots were livid. And part of it isn't so much the outcome of the game, but more on Chad Ryland. Chad Ryland's a good kid. He's very popular. He's very nice for anyone who meets him. His miss, from my understanding, when he kicked the ball, he thought it was going in. He thought he did everything right. His mechanics were perfect. And he was shocked that it was so far wide left. And from what I gather, when the ball is so underinflated, essentially the football wraps around the kicker's foot and it changes the trajectory as it as they, you know, they're swinging, essentially. So that's why they want the ball pumped up, because the pig bladder, the football bladder doesn't wrap around your foot. The PSI <laughs> is hard. It makes a hard football. So post game, I noticed a lot of Patriots special teamers were angry. I heard, you know, some some swear words thrown out there and it, it really made made me track this story down. But from what I gathered, Patriots really thought Chad Ryland missed that kick due to the underinflated ball. Here, Harrison Bucker, though, a, uh, a veteran, an established veteran, doesn't blame it. And, you know, again, he said, I've 
made a lot of kicks with flatter balls and talked about how in college the balls weren't inflated. So I think what you see there is just the confidence level right now sort of teetering. you got one guy who's really established. you got another guy, Chad Ryland, who isn't. And I think the anger from the Patriots' point of view was on – Oh, Chad, like, hey, this kid has had a lot of people on him for good reason because he's missed a lot of big kicks and something happened that was out of his control. And that's really where the anger from the Patriots part came from. And I think that's probably a microcosm of the season, right? Like everything is amplified now because nothing has gone their way. And so the smallest bit of inconvenience or adversity or underinflated balls, which affects their performance, gets (laughs) I mean, this is blown out of proportion yet again like first of all i'm just laughing because it's like maybe the nfl shouldn't care doesn't care because it shouldn't because this is not a big deal but also we're just saying phrases like he's kicked flatter balls before which we just should have sink and laugh at because it's funny as far though as the frustration goes like it, it is understandable and you know i'd heard that they are very supportive and stand by chad ryland in a way most teams would not stand by a guy who's i think 12 of 19 or was after missing that field goal this year um and it's not just the draft equity they invested in him obviously trading up to get him it's because of the talent it's he's a rookie and you know they still believe in him from a preparation standpoint that he would make it whether or not he makes that first kick if the ball's properly inflated or not who knows i am just so glad for my sake for your sake for fit's sake that they both missed a field goal. So this was like wipe clean, even no really big issues. Um, But what else before we move on to Denver, uh, which now has me thinking of overinflated balls and thin air and what that might look like, but I just enough talk about balls. What what are, what are your remaining takeaways or greatest fascinations with this as we eventually kind of move on? What was the biggest story uh, of the week? You know what I, I learned? I didn't realize this, which actually makes sense. They clock um, hang time with with everything on the sidelines, and they knew as the first half went on, something was off because the hang time when everything was off, which I, I just, you know, as a football nerd who actually enjoys the kicking game, I actually found it interesting that, wow, they, they had someone there with a stopwatch clocking every single kickoff and every single punt, and they said, hey, some, something's weird here. I'm like, oh, it makes sense. It's the NFL. It's a billion-dollar industry, but the fact that people still clock hang times on the sideline kind of made me happy a little bit, um, but it I don't know, man. At the end of the day, it's just it's wild to me that this could happen inside Gillette Stadium where, you know, Bob McNally and John Jastrzemski were generally more aware something was happening. And the thing brought up a lot of old memories for me. It was it was wild. And the people who I I talked to were just, you know, just say like one person was like basically called it a clown show. Like it's the NFL. It's a billion dollar industry. The flake gate happened. Tom Brady got suspended. And almost 10 years later. It seems like the officials did not properly inflate the kicking balls before a start of a Patriots Chiefs game. Just wild that it that would even occur. Yeah, and I, I, obviously the Patriots attachment, the history is what makes this story right. This happens against yeah. Chargers, you know, Packers, whatever. No one really cares. It's like, ah, oh, that was a bummer. It shouldn't happen. Like, snap, who slap on the wrist for the refs, and everyone moves on. We cannot move on here in New England about anything. We hold grudges. We get upset, and rightfully so, over all of that stuff. Because as you mentioned, yeah, millions and millions and millions of dollars to suspend Tom Brady over something that was just ridiculous. And um, it's funny, when he mentioned hang time and clocking that, making it smile, I just was thinking of Alex Barth, mutual friend, 98.5 The Sports of Alex Barth, right. king of the stopwatch, at least in training camp and hang times. I'm sure he would have been beaming. He also noted, and maybe you did in your story and I've just forgotten, the weather from a temperature and humidity standpoint on last Sunday was almost identical to the temperature humidity of the 2014 AFC Championship game. And uh, 
Maybe it was weather after all, as we all probably know. That would put the NFL in a tough spot, right? To admit the weather actually changed the PSI of the footballs in the game. That, you know? <laughs> well, maybe, we know the NFL's not going to do well, that. Maybe that's why they haven't responded to my, my inquiry that, uh, you know, to boil it down. I had one source tell me I went to the NFL. They didn't get back to me. Then I had two more. So at the end, when I had three telling me the same story, I went with it. But still, no word from the NFL. So radio silence there. Makes sense. So it used to be that the Patriots played their best football after Thanksgiving. Well, I'm here to tell you we don't have to wait for turkey and mashed potatoes and football for you to win and place your best bets of the year with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 with a single bet if the team that you pick wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, I'm telling you, there's no better time than now to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. I do it all the time. There's a wide range of options, too, if you don't like betting options, like the money line. That's for me. If it's not for you, go for point spreads, player props, over-unders, and tons more. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston and get your winning in the NFL season, no matter what the Patriots do. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 year older and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is a non withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org. Call 800 327 5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1 800 GAM 1234. All right, let's move on. Uh, Broncos Patriots Sunday night, eight fifteen kick in Denver. Patriots are about six and a half, seven point underdogs going to play the Broncos, who are seven and seven. Here are their last four: a forty-two to seventeen ass kicking at Detroit, big loss to the Lions. Before that, they beat the Chargers twenty-four to seven in Los Angeles, lost to Houston twenty-two to seventeen at uh, Houston, and then a win over Cleveland at home twenty-nine to twelve. This was a Broncos team that started one and five. Everyone clowned them as a clown show for losing by 50 points, 70 to 20 to Miami. But Sean Payton has turned this around. And what they've done is really just win a lot of these close games, which is not indicative often of much aside from, you know, a good bounce here or turnover luck over there. And turnovers, as far as I can tell, have really driven this defense back. I mean, they are playing better. They are still rank um, 32nd against the run by DVOA, 30th overall. Their EPA numbers are bad. But when you make the cutoff week seven, again, when they start to turn things around, and you could do this with arbitrary endpoints, even the Patriots look good if you just take the middle chunk of their season and their offense. They're not. But the Broncos are about a middle of the pack team in about every respect since then. I think it speaks to good coaching. And I look at when the Patriots have the ball, because their success rate as far as defending the run, even from week seven on, is still bottom five in the league. Teams are staying on schedule when they run. That's what the Patriots want to do. Am I crazy, Mark? First of all, yes. Am I crazy to think, though, that this might be a decent matchup because of that run defense that's just, eh. You know what? You're not. I, I actually pinpointed this game as a potential upset in, in, for the, in the Patriots' favor. And the reason was what surprises me about the Broncos this year, they've actually been better at running the ball than, than passing. I, I looked it up. Like, the Broncos are averaging 187 passing yards per game, which is just surprisingly low. It's 25th in the NFL. And their run game is, you know, 112 a game, which is 14th. Denver has been a better run game offense than, than pass game. And the star attraction is Russell Wilson. And you have Cortland Sutton and, and Jerry Judy. Like, he's not void of talent there that he's throwing to. But the fact that 
it seems like they run the ball better, 100% plays into the Patriots' hands because they enter this game, I want to say, ranked first in the NFL in yards per carry, and they're second in the NFL in the rushing yards they allowed per game. I think it's like 87 or something ridiculous like that. So you have a Patriots defense that is outstanding, elite against the run, against the Broncos offense, that their run game is better than their pass game. So, yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways this game could play into the Patriots' hands. Now, when the ball is in the Patriots' hands, and it's more specifically in Bailey Zappi's hands, I think everyone's going to kick back, have a beer, relax, and feel good in the first half. Then halftime will hit, and regardless of the score, everyone's going to have the same feelings that we did in a much lesser sense about Deflategate 10 years later with your story. When they see the second half and Bailey Zappi take over, it's a little PTSD. From last week against the Chiefs when his passer rating was 8.68 in the second half to Pittsburgh when he throws one pick and Bill O'Brien's like, nah, we're we're pulling you back and this is it. We're going to run the ball. We got to leave. We're just going to sit on it. We're going to let the air out of the football. (laughs) Pun intended. And we talked to Bailey this week who was open about, yeah, my first half, second half splits are bad. And I have some thoughts on this. I've said them before in this podcast, but when you look at him and specifically that divide, how do the Patriots get first half Bailey Zappi? to play like that in the second half. It's it's wild to me. And, and here's, here's a wild number that I sort of looked up. I love stats and splits. When Bailey Zappi has under two and a half seconds to throw, his passer rating is 95. When he has over two and a half, it drops to 39, which actually makes no sense. The longer time you give Bailey Zappi to throw, the less likely it is that he does something well, which defies logic for me. So, What Bailey said on Wednesday was essentially he has to operate Bill O'Brien's offense like he was taught. You go through your reads and you make a quick decision. I think that's what he has to do. I think he's at his best when he makes a quick decision and he identifies the first or second read and gets rid of the ball. Because when he's dancing around and waiting too long, statistically, those numbers dramatically fall off. Like Again, over two and a half seconds, he has one touchdown and four picks. Under two and a half, he has three touchdowns and no picks. That makes no sense, but I think what it says is he's good when you give him less choice. Like, I think that's why he actually looked a little bit better in Matt Patricia's offense because he was being told exactly what to do. He wasn't really making checks or lines, you know, at the line of scrimmage. He was just doing what Matty P and Joe Judge wanted. This year with Bill O'Brien, as you know, the offense is predicated on quarterbacks making different checks and changing things to the line of scrimmage. You have option routes. Zappy, I think you, I think you need to dumb it down, I, man. I think he has to like one, get your read or throw it away. Like it, it just that that just stuck out to me as being very bizarre and maybe also a bit noteworthy on you know where his football IQ is compared to some other quarterbacks like Mac Jones. It's a great point, and I think it's spot on as far as speaking to any backup, right? Like your job at that point is to not be a player on your own in a way that drives winning individually. Your job is to fit, be a cog in the system, which he was talking about, and make everything else go. Whereas we look at the quarterbacks, Russell Wilson once upon a time, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen. They are the engine. They are the system that makes everything go. No, no, no. Bailey, sit back. If it's not there, throw it away. And I think, you know, the turnovers factor big into that, right? Because as I've noted, and he didn't feel this way. So I want to put that on the record that Bailey doesn't think his leash gets shorter after these interceptions, but just look at the play calling, like the run pass split should not be so severe after the turnover. If Bill O'Brien is not pulling the leash back and going, we're just, we're just going to sit on it because that's how it looks. That's what's happened. And not only just in Pittsburgh when they had a lead, but trailing against Kansas city and Bill O'Brien's like, we're down 14, but we're going to take our time. 
And so it is about the system, obviously, avoiding turnovers. And I think he's had fewer boneheaded decisions and mistakes than Mac Jones had. Um, but the ones that he does commit seem to slow the machine down in a way that he just needs to get everything on schedule. Because this this is also a game, you know, they scored 20 points. You might come out of there with an upset on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Even even looking at like the the Denver defensive rankings is is interesting because their you know rushing game, their rushing defense, as you said, has been horrible. I mean, thirty second in the NFL. They're they're allowing one hundred and forty six rushing yards per game. But even like their pass defense, twenty third. Like like the Denver defense really isn't that good. So for the Patriots, and I think in this game in general, the first team to twenty might win. But this is this is has to be a huge like Zeke Elliott game, and I think that's where they can sort of help. Bailey Zappi, right? Because you look at what Zeke and the run game did against Chiefs, it was really non-existent. The Patriots lost up front, which is not an unusual story of this season. But I think Zeke averaged, what, somewhere around two yards per carry. He only, I think he rushed for under 30 yards. Like, you can't have that. You need to establish the run, probably play ahead, and you could come out of Denver with the win. It's not inconceivable. I don't think Patriots fans would be happy about that. I mean, frankly, it's, it's weird to be talking about because the worst thing that could happen is the Patriots win and, you know, they get a worse draft pick, which is just a strange existence to live in here in New England. Yeah, and that's where we've been. I don't know how many weeks now. Like, it's uh, it's it's tough. But, hey, we're almost there. Holidays are coming. Let's go on to defense where the Patriots are very good and will face, as you mentioned, Russell Wilson, who is has not been the player he once was for years, uh, but has come around with Sean Payton. I think it honestly speaks to just what we talked about with Bailey Zappi. Fit in the system. Make everything go. Don't try to be the player that you were because his athleticism has waned. Though, as Belichick noted today, and this forced me to dive into my own um, you know, look as far as statistically at the Broncos, Russell Wilson is their second leading rusher technically, but he's rushed for more touchdowns and first downs than anyone else on the roster. And I get Jamonte Williams has not had a great season, yada, yada. If you know in fantasy, like it's been bad. But that's the key to me, whether designed runs or scrambling, where I look at this and go, keep him in the pocket. And that's not the ball game, but given how much of their important plays, first downs and touchdowns that are coming just from him holding onto the ball. Keeping him behind the line of scrimmage is, is more important in a way, even if he's less athletic, because that's where they're getting a lot of their offense. Yeah. It, the, the Denver, the Denver, like the metrics for the Denver offense are just honestly like 2022 Patriots bad um, <laughs> red zone. They're, they're 20 red zone. They're converting the red zone opportunities 50% of the time, which is 22nd in the NFL. And one of my favorite stats that I think is underrated is goal to go percentage. So when you're whatever, mm. first in goal, how often do you convert? The Denver Broncos are dead last 32nd in the NFL converting only 53% of the time goal to go percentage. So I even think from the Patriots perspective, the Broncos have been bad in the red zone. You're right. Their passing game hasn't been great. They're more of a run-heavy offense with Russell Wilson and Javante Williams and with Jaleel McLaughlin and, you know, Perrine over there is more of a passing back. But I think this is really the game where, like, the defense can bend. Don't break because you you have a team that, quite frankly, has been as bad as last year's Patriots team in the red zone and really the worst in the NFL when it's first in goal. So we go back to, like, playing in the Patriots' hands. I mean – I can see it. I'm not going to predict the Patriots to win this one, but, you know, I could see, I could say there's a chance, you know, dumb and dumber there. So I was going to say, so you're telling me there's a chance. It, it bugs me in a way that is outsized and disproportionate when people screw up that phrase. Now, I know why that is the case, because it's my favorite movie of all time. But when people go, so you're saying there's a chance. No, no, no. That is not the quote. It is you're not telling me yeah. there's a chance. 
I just, I need to get that off my chest. I'm, we're almost to Festivus. I need to air some grievances here uh, before yeah. before the 23rd. You mentioned the passing game, though, because as Belichick unwound, you know, his, his breakdown of the Broncos in a sense, um, broken them down in the Bellistrator and the Clips with Zoe and all this different stuff. He's highlighted Cortland Sutton in a way that didn't, I don't think I appreciate it as much as I should have, because he said he's as good as any receiver in the league. Cortland Sutton, obviously a pro bowler. He's big, he's fast, he's great in a lot of different areas, and is far and away their leading receiver with 58 catches, 770 yards, 10 touchdowns. And Jerry Judy's, you know, fine, 45 catches, 581 yards, and one touchdown. But their next five leading receivers are all running backs. And so that, to me, is a, there's often a make the team play left-handed, double so-and-so, take them out of the game. It just might be that cut and drive with Sutton because I don't think they're that afraid of Jerry Judy and you can't trust these corners to play one-on-one. Is it as simple as I'm making it as far as double Sutton almost as often as you can or at least third down in red zone? I've been thinking about that a lot because you know, who, who starts opposite of Jonathan Jones? Is it Alex yeah. Austin? Is it is it Sean Wade? You know, Will they play Miles Bryant on the outside? Like I could see them matching up Miles Bryant with Jerry Judy and taking John Jones and maybe giving him a little bit of help. But like John Jones has been really, really good this year. He's allowed from my own passing stats. I want to say it's like 39% of his targets to be caught, which for me is his number one cornerback type play. He doesn't get, he doesn't get the picks like, you know, other guys do, but Jonathan Jones has been really good, but I, I agree. I think you lock up Jonathan Jones and Cortland Sutton, even though there's a massive height, Jesus fair, but like, you know what? Why should I even say that? Because last year the Patriots had Marcus Jones and T Higgins, which you don't get a bigger mismatch height wise than that. So, but I, I, I think you're onto it, man. If you can shut down Cortland Sutton, you know, you make this team more one-dimensional. Again, if you can force the Broncos to try to run the ball on Devon Godchow and the way Christian Barmore is playing, good luck to them. But it, it will be fascinating to see, one, who starts opposite of Jonathan Jones. Is it Alex Austin? He started last week. He was fine. I had him yeah. 0 for team coverage, but a lot of zone-type plays. And I think the Chiefs, they, they really played more near the line of scrimmage and in the flat. So it, it'll be a fascinating matchup and probably not something we've talked about a lot just because of all the other crap that's gone on. But, like, the Patriots' cornerback depth is depleted you know, at this point, And we're relying on a guy who not a lot of people know about in Alex Austin. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Uh, my colleague, our mutual friend, Duck Guy broke that down this week for the Herald. And, I, you know, he's talking aloud the story in our little office down at Gillette. And I'm like, yeah, it's bad. He keeps going, listing names or how many games have been missed. I'm like, holy smokes, it is that bad, which isn't to say you're not aware of it. It's just one thing to know and then another to look and have it be reminded of Christian Gonzalez. You know, Jack Jones, I'll put it like this, was your number three corner, like talent wise, underscoring talent wise, starting caliber corner in the NFL. Um, But between him, Gonzalez, J.C. Jackson, Marcus Jones, like all those guys, it's just been it's been terrible. So a lot of zone I I would expect to anything else here that kind of has your your attention. Like I kind of leaned into maybe Tavai or Bentley versus all of these running backs who are getting a lot of targets and maybe they try to pick on that. But teams have been doing that forever. Like I just it's hard to pick something out individually matchup wise um against them it, which is crazy because this is bill Belichick versus versus sean payton this is one of the best right. chess matches we we have on the schedule well i think i think a common theme this year too right it's been pass protection and who's going to start for the patriots you know we're, they're down cole strange i i have my doubts that we'll ever see trent brown again even though he is practicing this week i mean they, I, I'm sure they hope Trent Brown starts a left tackle as opposed to Vidarian Lowe, but that, that's another situation where I don't think Antonio, Antonio Maffi or City So have been very good in pass coverage this year. I think they've been a bit of a liability. I have them down each for five sacks allowed, which is a lot for an interior offensive lineman. 
And you, you have a you have a Denver Broncos pass rush that's okay. They're they're not dynamic. But going back to like Bailey Happy Bailey Zappy splits first half, second half. Zappy has been sacked ten times in the second half this year compared to three in the first half. So ten times in the second half, three sacks allowed on Zappy in, in the first half. Now those stats are skewed because he came in a bunch of relief appearance for Mac and only played the second half. For example, the Giants, but like as we saw last year against the Chiefs, when you get a lot of pressure on them, things things start to go awry. So for me, I, I think a big thing this this game, as has been every Patriots game this season, is can you protect your quarterback? Can you actually allow him to sit there and go through his appropriate reads, get rid of the ball fast? Because I think if it melts down and it very well it might it might melt down because I don't think your offensive line is very good at this point. I think that's a huge thing again for the Patriots. If they want Bailey Zappi to play consistent, well, protect him for four quarters because so far, at least according to these split stats, it, that hasn't been the case. Well, that sounds like a key to the game, which brings us to the three, two, one breakdown here. Three keys, two matchups, uh, one wild card, and then we'll get uh, out of here because we have to go talk to Bill Belichick this morning. So uh, pass protection, I think, I think it's completely fair. Again, it talks about insulating a backup quarterback, making him comfortable, giving him easy outlets. Like Bill O'Brien did a great job at the start of that Kansas City game. Shallow crosses, slants over the middle, pick routes into the flat, like just easy access, simple read stuff, especially against the Blitz, which Kansas City brought a lot. Um, my second key then would just be limiting those Wilson scrambles. Again, so much of their offense in critical situations comes down to him with his legs and that cuts both ways like he's a guy who still believes in his legs and his ability that you know it's, I don't want to say it's like taking the keys away from your grandparent when they're getting up there in age and you can't have them driving anymore but like Russell Wilson probably shouldn't be running around as much as he is and so if you're able to not only just neutralize that but swing it in the other direction where he's doing more damage trying to run into you know these pockets that they um, kind of build around him a wall you know we all hear about that mush rush that's going to be huge because then either he's rushed and makes a bad throw um, or perhaps is in double coverage to Sutton downfield. And, and how about this too? We, you know, we haven't even mentioned which Bill Belichick's favorite part of the game, special teams, <laughs> the Broncos rank first in punt return average, 16.9 and first in kickoff return average in 28.5. And it's because of Marvin Mims jr. Their second round pick who's a phenomenal returner, you know, arguably the best statistically the best returner in the NFL. So for the Patriots, for a team that has, as we all know, they're loaded with core special teamers. Can that, unit, can that unit actually step up and play like it for once? Because it has been embarrassing this year for, you know, a team that has Matthew Slater and, you know, Brendan Schooler, Cody Davis. Um, you know, they just have Chris so Ford. many right? yeah. They have so many good core special teamers. Man. Chris Ellis. Like it. It, yeah, this is going to be one of those games you have to play like it. Like, they have very, very good return, a very, very good return, man. But on top of that, Actually, I want to see Chad Ryland hit a 60-yard field goal. Like, it's high altitude. It's Denver. Chad Ryland has his leg strength. If this was Madden, it's probably like 98, 99. It's the accuracy where you dip down into the 70s with him. He needs to work on that stuff. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Chad Ryland, coming off a, you know, very upset over lower deflated ball game, he goes out and boots a 60-yard field goal. So I think special teams is something that's going to come up this game too because you have to play better. you, you got to stop – committing penalties. You're actually going to have to stop Marvin Mims Jr. if he gets the ball in his hands. Can we up this? And I'm going to ask you right now, just because off the top of my head, I don't know the record. I want to say it's 64, maybe 65 yards. Can we get Chad Ryland to kick the NFL's all-time longest field goal endeavor in the perfect follow-up to my balls were flat and I swung and missed and all this mess and just a nice punctuation. Can we get Chad Ryland the record this Sunday? 
hundred percent, man. Right. I, I think you can do it. I, honestly, that's why the Patriots drafted him. They love his leg. Like they love it. Like Nick Folk isn't here. They love his like, okay, like there are websites for people like that that we don't need to go here, but it was 66. Justin Tucker had a 66 yarder yeah. in Detroit a couple of years ago. Okay. So Chad Ryland from the Pats interference podcast and your friend, Mark Daniels and a guy who covered you in high school, Andrew Callahan kick, sir, please a 67 yard field goal in Denver. Give us all a memory. Even if it's a loss, we will remember this fondly. Chad Ryland delivered the greatest gift to the Patriots on Christmas Eve an NFL record in the worst season ever 67 or longer, please. You close yes, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm all, you know, I'll be, you can ask my colleague, Chris Mason. I've been saying it. Chad Ryland's hitting at least a 60 yard field goal in Denver. He has the leg leg strength. He has the power. The guy has to work in his accuracy. We've all seen it all year. You, you know what? I, I just hope they give him the chance. Like, wait, you draft you know what? for a reason, right? Let's not make the 67. Let's go 70. Why Why do we need to stop at 67? Get some wind. Get some wind. I saw Stephen Guskowski hit, I think it was a 61-yard field goal in Mexico City. Chad Ryland in Denver, absolutely. 60-plus, he's got it. Let's let's go. It'd be, it'd be the best storyline on Christmas Eve ever. <laughs> great great little Christmas present there under the tree. A Chad Ryland, you know, NFL record-breaking kick after deflate gate part two. I, I love it. I'm all in. Hell yeah. All right, two matchups. Uh, I'm going to go with just Bailey Zappia versus Justin Simmons. Justin Simmons is, you know, another Pro Bowl player, keeps together that whole secondary, and I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, the amount of zone that um, Denver plays, you know, watching Zappi's eyes. And as you talked about, the longer he pats the ball and is looking around, Simmons will be able to jump these throws. He has more interceptions against Patrick Mahomes than anyone. Leads them, I think, in fourth fumbles and uh, close to and picks this year because I think they're just going to steer clear of Patrick Sertan, which lets – Justin uh, Simmons cheat over to the other side. So uh, what matchup do you have? I'm actually going to go with uh, Javante Williams versus Devon Gotchow. Javante <laughs> Williams has been disappointing this year. He's averaging 3.7 yards per carry, but the Broncos need to run the ball to be efficient. I mean, Gotchow and the Patriots run defense have just been so elite. Stop them. Don't force, force Russell Wilson to sit in the pocket and throw. I'll, I will take my chances against that. So I think for the Patriots, one of the top things on defense, man, stop the run. Don't just clog the trenches. They've been great. Godchild, Christian Barmore is having a career year. He's finally putting it all together. That's my that's my number one right now. God, a guy like Godchild versus Javante Williams. All right, one wild card. Some thought we have not covered. It's game related, but it doesn't have to be football. I just whatever you want, man. Let it rip. I'm interested to see if Bailey Zappi can put together four quarters. Um, but I'm interested to see if if he falters here, if Bailey Zappi messes up again or just comes out and throws up a stinker. Will we see oh, Mac wow. Jones before the end oh, of the year? Wow. You know? I mean, up after this, you have Buffalo on the road. And let's not forget, the last time Mac Jones looked like a capable starting quarterback, he was leading the Patriots to a fourth quarter comeback against the Buffalo Bills. So if Bailey Zappi goes out, throws out a stinker, will we see Mac Jones return against the Buffalo Bills? That's one thing I'll be looking for. I love it. It's kind of boring, but I'm thinking about the altitude. And not in a way that, like, the ball's going to fly longer. I'm just thinking fourth quarter, how is it not that these guys are going to be just dog tired? You know, it's late in the season. You're traveling there. They dealt with it before. But the Patriots have not traveled to Denver since 2017. And you would know better than I because I've never traveled to Denver for a Patriots game and wasn't covering the team in 2017. Did they do any kind of preparation just for, you know, the, you know, the again, the altitude? Like, there's less oxygen up there. It's just, it's just harder to breathe. You, it's hard to acclimate to that as I stumble for words here at the end. Yeah. 
The only time I've seen them do something like that was prior to Mexico City when they practiced in Colorado Springs before. The Mexico City altitude was actually, I guess it was much, much more difficult than Denver. The Patriots did that. Their opponents, the, the Raiders, didn't. And what was fascinating that game was Bill Belichick operated essentially a, a no-huddle offense, or it was Josh McDaniels. So the, the Raiders players were so gassed. They had the oxygen masks on the sideline where the Patriots, who practiced in Colorado the entire week, weren't. It was, it was just Bill Belichick. Really, chess first checker in that game. I, one of my favorite stories of covering this team was like, man, they really did everything they could to put themselves at an advantage and used it against the Chiefs. So, you know, in terms of Denver, I don't think they've done anything like that. But it, it is, it is, it's, it's legit. It makes people tired. I, I can remember a story was uh, your colleague Doug Kide was trying to find his way to the field in Mexico City and it was very, very windy because <laughs> he had to walk so much around that stadium. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's no joke. It's no joke. It'll be interesting. All right. I'm kind of disappointed in how I just could not explain the, the elevation, but I think you saved it here with a great story. It's something I didn't know. Um, and it was a lame wild card, but we got two more games left and that's just kind of how the season it is. But Mark Daniels making me better. He can make you better as a fan follow him on Twitter, read him at mass live, listen to the eye on Foxborough podcast. You'll also hear Chris Mason and Gary Green and a bunch of different guests. Uh, friend, I will see you in about an hour where we get to see, are we going to get Friday bill today? Is he back? Is he, is he dead? Like, are we just the, the jovial? He's back. He's back. Almost Christmas. I th- he's gonna he's gonna say something about Christmas. I think. All right. He has to, something <laughs> about stockings, presents under the tree. It'll it'll happen. Okay. All right. Well, we'll find out. Thank you, sir. All right. See you.